0: Keeping in mind that there is a spiritual or emotional component to that. So, really being in charge of your energy, going into something like begrudgingly is just gonna make the experience suck for you, not just for everybody else.
1: This is Chan with The Plan the Podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. Hey, Krista, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, thank you for having me.
1: How's your week so far?
0: My week is going good. It was my birthday week, so.
1: Oh, nice. Anyways, what did you do?
0: I went out to dinner yesterday, which was a lot of fun. And then I bought myself a present, which was also great. So.
1: Oh, nice. What is it, if you don't mind us asking?
0: Oh, yes. I was really dying uh, for a cocktail ring. Do you know what that is when I say no. cocktail ring? No,
1: I don't know what that is. No.
0: It's basically a very large, obnoxious-looking ring that's supposed to be like a statement piece. So I've been eyeing one for a couple of years, and I decided I would buy it for my birthday
1: oh nice you know yeah treat yourself after all the hard work you've been doing right
0: yeah that's right that's right
1: great so thanks for coming on again for people who don't know who you are why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do
0: yes i am an executive coach and corporate consultant i have been doing this for close to 15 years it's a very long time i work with a mix of individual clients meaning people who want to come to coaching to up-level their leadership and sometimes other parts of their life. And then I also work with companies and in that capacity, do more advising and consulting, supporting businesses to structure themselves in a way that matches the culture that they want, but also the results they want to see, whether they're looking to grow or merge with another company or downsize even.
1: Great. And the reason why I brought you on is like there was a lot of topics that you specialize in speaking about. And one of the things that caught my eye was Perceiving time differently. So let's give my listeners a bit of a background. How do people usually perceive time?
0: People usually perceive time as if time is their enemy. (laughs) Most of us don't have the best relationship with time. And that's one of the biggest challenges is that we are sort of okay with or complacent with the fact that we don't have a great relationship with time. And the truth is that time is actually a currency. And I always tell my clients there are actually three currencies. There is time, money, and knowledge. And what's true for most of us in most settings is that we typically have two of the three. Okay, so when it comes to someone's, let's just say, you know, life with their children, They might have a lot of knowledge for how to take care of their kids. They might have a few resources. They might have a good job and have the ability to give their kids good experiences. But what they're missing is time because they're a busy professional. So I always tell my clients that you want to use either time, money, or your knowledge to get whatever you're missing. So if you're missing time, you can pay for time, right? You can use your money to get yourself more time. If you're missing knowledge, you can use your time and your money to go get knowledge, right? So you're always thinking about how to manage these resources. And the best thing we can do to have a better relationship with time and perceive it differently is to understand that if we're complacent with it, we're never really gonna have a great ability to leverage it in the way that we can.
1: Can you give us some examples in regards to bad relationships with time? Like an example of like having a bad relationship with time. Yes.
0: So there's actually two main categories that people fall into. Okay. So the first category is the procrastinator. So I don't know. Are you a procrastinator? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm a big one. Uh, You're a big one? Yeah. I'm a big procrastinator. Yeah.
0: That is my favorite one. That's my bad relationship. (laughs) I feel like I can leave everything to the last minute. And then I do believe I work better under pressure. Like I can bang things out at midnight. Like I got this, right? You want a proposal? I will do it right before it's due. So procrastination is the first one. And many people tend to see themselves as a procrastinator. And then the other side of the equation is the person that becomes overwhelmed. So the two negative experiences are overwhelm and procrastination. And when we look at these two types of relationships, if you really think about it, they are almost like the victims of time. Right. With overwhelm, we just don't have enough. We can't catch up. There's so much to do. I don't know how I'm going to get to everything. There's almost like this very anxious, kind of fear based way that we're operating in in our day. And with procrastinators, it's the opposite. It's like, I'll get to it later. Tomorrow is better. It's a little bit more avoidant. We're like, eh, I'll deal with it. You know, I have to be in the mood or inspired to get that done. So these two approaches are the ways in which we get ourselves in trouble and can't get us out of the loop to get the results that we want to go get, which is actually feel proud and happy in our day, not just getting things done, but we want to feel good about what we got done and how we got it done.
1: Yeah, so like procrastination in my life is a very common occurrence. So as a student, when I was in college, right, you obviously have the syllabus of when things are going to be scheduled, for example, assignments and exams. Let's say you have a a few weeks to study for your exam, you basically cram it the last few days. I think a lot of students or past students that are listening right now are, agree with the same methodology that they've done, right? So how do you motivate yourself to like do stuff early on? I understand that like, people perform better under pressure, but in a way that like, if you prepare yourself, like instead of doing like a few days of cramming for an exam, as an example, do a bit each day, you pace yourself and you retain information better. So what are some suggestions that you can provide in regards to, stay motivated, even though the deadline's like a ways away?
0: Yes, it's a great question. And I actually can't answer it. And the reason why I say I can't answer it is because the answer doesn't live in what can I do better or what can I do differently? And the truth is, anybody can go read a book on time management and all the tactics on time management will work. Every single one, right? Time blocking your schedule, creating an environment where there's no distractions, you know, breaking down information into small, you know, bite-sized pieces, They're all useful. All those tips are great. The issue is that if you don't have the right antidote for your personality type as it pertains to time, none of those tactics are going to work. So the larger question becomes about understanding what is your personality or your, I like to say your flavor with time, like we talked about earlier, that negative relationship and understanding that if you are someone that's more overwhelmed, you require different tactics. And if you're more of a procrastinator like you and I are, we have to do something else, right? So that's the first piece is that tactics are probably the worst place to go to first. Really understanding yourself is the best place. So can I elaborate a little bit on how to better understand yourself? Yeah, for sure. Okay. So we'll start with procrastinators because you and I are here. So the procrastinators is that when we procrastinate, what's actually happening is our brain is like, I don't wanna deal with that. I don't wanna be bothered, I'm not motivated, I don't feel like it, I'll do it tomorrow. There's a resistance, actually, to dealing with the thing that we need to go deal with. And that's a very innate human's behavior. Human beings, are the way our brains are designed is that we have this like checkpoint, if you will, that anytime something new is presented to us, or any particular stressor might come our way, the first thing our brain does is scan for, is it a threat? Is it going to hurt me? And if I do it, is it going to make me uncomfortable? Because uncomfort can actually threaten our existence. So our brain does that automatically. And that's why we have this really visceral reaction to doing anything new. And it's so funny. Even right before this call, I remember I had to go pay a bill. And I remembered and I knew where it was. It was like on my desk upstairs upstairs. And I was gonna go grab it. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it after this call. Like I'll get to it later. It's not a problem. And then I was like, No, no, I have a client session after this call. And then I have dinner plans. And I'm like, Oh, I'll do it on Monday. And you could hear my brain already just wanting to like kick the can because it's annoying to get up out of my comfortable seat and go up the stairs to get this bill. And it's also really annoying to pay, in this case, the government my money. <laughs> I like to keep it for my cocktails tonight, right? I don't want to give it away. So we have to deal with the fact that if you're a procrastinator, the first voice that gets kicked up is that voice of resistance. And that's very human of you. The interesting thing about procrastinators is that we don't actually work better under pressure. That is a lie. What ends up happening is because human beings are social animals and we don't want to let other people down and we care about not being embarrassed or humiliated or looking bad or uh, failing in some way, we tend to not disappoint other people, right? So procrastinators will get everything in at the 11th hour, especially if we're working on a team or we're working with colleagues. We're not going to like disappoint our colleague and not get something in. Now, we might annoy them and get it in like very late, but we're not going to let them down because the truth is we care about how we look, as we should, right? We understand that there's a social hierarchy, and there's a pecking order to everything. And so what ends up happening for a procrastinator is that they are in this like resistance mode. And then once they know they've pushed it too far and the total fear kicks in, like fear of looking bad, fear of failing, fear of disappointing. And then they just pull it out at the 11th hour. And that cycle, that getting it done in the 11th hour reinforces this negative feedback loop. So it's really important for procrastinators to understand that actually why you're working better under pressure is because you don't want to disappoint people. And imagine if you actually took some time to do the work well, because the truth is you cannot work better under pressure. Your cortisol levels are too high and there's no way you're actually producing the best result, right? You're just focused. So you're getting things done quickly. Does that make sense?
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like, yeah, you perform well under pressure, but if you have a short time to finish something, you'll get it done and you'll hand it in on time, but the quality of the work will not be as good because you didn't take totally. the time to do it. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Although we're like super impressed with ourselves because we've been sitting on it for like two weeks and you're like, wow, in an hour, I came up with all that magical stuff. That's amazing, right? You're like, I'm a genius. How did I do that in an hour, right? couldn't think of anything for two weeks. So it's important to get that it's actually not the best result and that negative feedback loop produces that same sort of procrastination tendencies. On the other side of the equation for the overwhelmed person, which is really fascinating, it goes in the other direction. So the overwhelmed person is someone who leads first with like fear. They're like anxious. Like they don't want to disappoint. They don't want to get it wrong. They don't want to say no. So they're really scared to push back or create boundaries. And so they typically say a lot of yes, and they have so many things on their plates, and then they can't quite figure out how to like get out of their own self-imposed hell, if you will, because they have so much on their plate. And for the overwhelmed person, What ends up happening is that resistance kicks in after the fear. So then they they refuse to ask for help. They refuse to say no. They refuse to push back, right? They refuse to take a break. They're like, I have to keep going. There's so much work for me to do. I can't stop. So it's like interesting between the two. One is fear first, which is the overwhelmed person, and then resistance. And then the procrastinator is resistance first and then fear.
1: Going back to the overwhelm, I think that's fits more personalities of people who are people pleasers. Like, for example, if you are at a company and let's say you start a new job, you want to do well and make a good impression on your boss. So you start taking yes to a bunch of stuff and then you overload yourself, which you shouldn't. And then you end up like messing things up because you overloaded yourself. Right. So how do you establish boundaries to not only be able to get your work done, but not look bad because you're not taking on more work?
0: Yes, that's a really good question. So I think the first thing to get for anybody that's overwhelmed is that the antidote to being overwhelmed is understanding how to be the bouncer of your time, right? And the bouncer of your time is the person that's actually, like, I like to use the example of, like, being in line at a club waiting to get into – at like a club or a bar. And this example is a good one because it's a good visual for people. So like the bouncers at the door, like organizing the line, creating a VIP section, you know, getting back up if something's happening. Like there's another like big dude at the you know front of the door if there's like problems in the line. And the bouncer is also always managing to capacity inside the club, right? It's like they're managing to, we can't have it be packed. If it's packed, no one's going to have a good time. But they're also managing to, if there isn't a line outside, we don't look very cool. So we need to have some level of a line outside so it looks like we're a hot happening place. So my point in sharing that is those principles of being a good bouncer are important, especially when you are starting off in a new relationship. When you're working in a job for the first couple of weeks, you absolutely want to establish the boundaries because what ends up happening during that time period is you're building the foundation for the rapport that you have with your boss and your colleagues. So, for anyone that's overwhelmed, they have a hard time saying no. What I would recommend is thinking through what type of experience do you want to have in your job? And then what type of experience do you want others to have of you? Because the minute you're at capacity, you're not that fun. You're not that great to work with. People can tell that you're stressed. Even if you think you're hiding it, you're not. They can tell. And so then, What ends up happening, you accomplish a lot of things, but then you damage the reputation that you have. So the first step would be defining for yourself, how do you want people to view you? And then from there deciding, okay, if I'm going to try to maintain that type of reputation, what are my rules I have to put in place?
1: The other thing in terms of the overwhelm part is prioritization. Not everything that people ask of you is super urgent or important. So, how do you evaluate what is important to do right away and what's not important to do right away? Like you can put on the back burner and nothing would happen.
0: Yes. So, I think that the first step to evaluating what is important to get done is to really understand the context of what's happening and asking the right questions. People want everything now. <laughs> I don't know, but like during the pandemic, I had to wait for like Amazon deliveries longer than usual. Like it wasn't getting delivered the next day, and I I like. I was like, what's happening? It's been four days since my prime delivery. Like my brain couldn't quite process. I want it immediately, right? If my seamless order takes more than like 15, 20 minutes to get delivered, I'm like angry. We're so used to this immediate gratification in our society that we start to like expect everything right away. So it's really important to understand the context and get that people are going to want everything right away. And it is okay to disappoint them. It is okay to say no. For the quality of the work to get done right it's okay to say no so that you can have a work-life balance so first is understanding the context of the larger conversation if we know that there's a new priority shift or we know that we have a big meeting tomorrow morning of course then we have to reorganize our time but if we just know someone is asking for something we can Definitely, you know, ask some questions to get clear about by when do they need it. And the biggest downfall, actually, when it comes to delegating, is people don't say or ask, by when do you want this done before they take on the project or they dish out the project. So it's important to say, okay, I hear that you want to get ABC done. By when do you need it? And oftentimes, when we ask that question, people will say, oh, like, in a week is fine. Or, I'm good with next week. And we don't even know that. We just assume they want it right now. So understanding the context and asking by when are the two places to start to help you really suss through exactly how to prioritize what you should say yes to and no to.
1: Yeah, one of the things that I've learned is that deadlines are made by people. So with that being said, you can't move around and negotiate deadlines depending on what their goals are, right?
0: Yes, absolutely. And again, people want everything now.
1: Yeah, with like how things fast. Like for example, Amazon Prime, right? You order something, get it the same day if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Uh, And then on the procrastination side, right? You get things done last minute, not because like, oh, I perform well in pressure because you don't want to look bad, right? Because having a good reputation and a personal brand in the workplace is very important to a lot of people, which goes to the issue of like, people don't want to do stuff for themselves. It's hard for them to stay motivated to do stuff for only themselves compared to helping and pleasing others. How can you shift your mindset to like do work for you and only for you?
0: Good question. Yeah, I love that question, actually. Most I've never been asked that, by the way. <laughs> That's a great one. So the thing about the procrastinator is that the mode to be in when you're a procrastinator is to have good systems, right? So the anecdote for the procrastinator, I like to say, is the dealer, like a car dealer or someone like being very focused on like just getting something done. So you want to have indiscriminatory practices. Like this is the time I focus to do this non-negotiable, I just get it done, and systematize and make things automatic as much as you can so that you can be able to plow through anything that's really challenging for you to get done. And for most of us, it's like admin and like operational things, right? Like those are the things we typically leave until like just me right now with this bill. But I'm like, eh, it's Friday. It can get paid up Monday. And then I'll get a late fee. I'm like, eh, it's fine. So those types of things are important to put into systems and process. And I like to have my clients create this chunk of time in their calendar that I call I don't want to time. And I don't want to time is like a two-hour block where you literally don't want to. And you do everything you don't want in that time, just like Put some music on, get a cup of coffee or your favorite drink and bang it out. And you're committed to being miserable during that time. It's okay. You don't have to have a good time. But it's I don't want to time and you just get stuff done, right? And so what ends up happening when you tell the truth about I don't want to and you commit to just having a system around it is it makes it easier to actually show up for that. And when you attach a ritual to it, like playing good music or having a cup of coffee or your favorite glass of wine or whatever, ordering your favorite meal, it starts to reprogram in your brain how you relate to those tasks because there's a reward instead of like this drudgery, if you will, to getting stuff done that you normally don't like to do. I say all that because your question is how do you get people to do things for themselves? Well, I think there's something really important to be said that understanding that when you do the things that you say you're going to go do, there is deep pride that comes from that. When you have integrity with yourself and when you're living true to your values, if that means that you just are like proud that your inbox is clear or you got stuff done so it's not weighing on you all weekend, whatever those values are for you, each person's going to have a different set. When we live true to those values and we have our accountability for ourselves, we feel pretty freaking awesome. Our confidence gets boosted, we feel way more proud, and we kind of walk around a little bit stronger feeling because we feel we've been able to accomplish something no matter how small it is and that has a big dopamine hit for us so the answer really is getting clear that when you do the things that you say you want to do and you do them this wave of pride comes over that is unparalleled to anything else that you can feel
1: moving on to the next part of our conversation in regards to time right so we talked about doing stuff you don't like to do. And sometimes when you do stuff that you don't want to do, it feels like it's longer than it is, right? So a good example is, let's say you're going to meet a friend for dinner and you're going to meet for like an hour, right? And then it ends up going like two or three hours because you enjoy your time, right? While going to like a business meeting, if you're not really that involved in it, the hour feels like a long, long time, right? So like, for example, like when it's a pleasurable experience, you feel time goes faster when is not as pleasant, for example, a long meeting, it feels longer than it actually is. So my question to you is there's a lot of perception in terms of like time on our side, right? So how does one balance the pleasurable and the non-pleasurable things that we have to do just to make our day go by smoother?
0: Yeah, I think there's two things to be said to that. I think because time exists on those two planes that you just spoke about, when we have to do something that's not fun or we're dreading or is stressful, time goes by very slowly, as you said. And when we're excited or we've heightened levels of emotion, time goes by really fast. So the thing is that keeping in mind that there is a spiritual or emotional component to that, so really being in charge of your energy. Going into something like begrudgingly is just going to make the experience suck for you, not just for everybody else. So a commitment to how do you want to be during the day is a great place to start. And in fact, it's an assignment I give my clients, which is at the beginning of the day, them sitting down and deciding how they want to be throughout their day. So really like writing down and proclaiming like today I'm going to be present and engaging with my colleagues and my family you know especially when you know you can get a little distracted or irritable right today i'm going to be patient and loving with my children you know like that kind of thing so it's deciding that you're not going to let your mood run the show is important because we really can be in command of our mood we just pretend that we're not so that's the first part cuz just that energetic exercise and that commitment is enough to shift all that drudgery right the other piece of it is is knowing yourself So one of the things that we all have to get good at is understanding what works for us. This is why I said to you earlier, you can't just apply any tactics. So the tactic of like time blocking your calendar works, but it doesn't work for someone that is very bad at like keeping their time blocks, right? So for that person, they might need to put in place something different, like working with a buddy because then they're going to show up and do the work. So it's important to know yourself and construct your calendar in a way that has a mix of things that keep you accountable and then also give you time for play. Like, you know, those would be the two important things to work into your calendar. But to answer your question more specifically, having like start of day and end of day rituals or routines that make you feel like a whole functioning present person is completely vital, despite whether or not you're more a procrastinator or an overwhelmed person irrelevant we all need start and stops to our day that feel like okay we are focused we're ready and then we're able to like conclude it so that it feels like the day is done i can move on to my personal time
1: at the end of the day there's gonna be stuff that we like to do and stuff that we don't like to do so it's up to us to balance it out during the day so you don't feel burnt out too soon right
0: yeah exactly and i think there's the, the truth of like figuring out how to Manage stuff that you don't like to do, like I mentioned earlier, that I don't want to time, right? And like figuring out where do you put that I don't want to time into your calendar to deal with the things that you don't want to do. Like for example, I have I don't want to time at the end of Fridays. So at the end of my day today, I will be spending time doing I don't want to things. That there's a list includes invoicing, emailing people back. (laughs) There's a you know some stuff like that. And the truth is. I make myself do that with a glass of tequila because that's my favorite uh, With a glass of tequila on a Friday because I know that if I end my Friday in a way in which I've dealt with all those like annoying nitpicky things I will feel so much more accomplished in my day but also be able to go into Monday feeling proud and like there's nothing else that's like owning me or that's worrying me cause I'm, because when we have a lot of things that we're not dealing with they kind of chase us and they actually take down our mood.
1: Yeah absolutely and Going back to what you said earlier, there's three things, right? As you said, there's knowledge, time, and then money. A lot of professionals, and even for me, like I'm still battling myself, is that I value the money more so than the time, but time is actually more of a valuable resource because there's only so many hours in a day. So a good example would be, let's say you want to like clean the house, right? You don't want to hire a clean lady because it's 200 bucks. So you want to do it yourself but you won't do a good job because again, you don't like doing it. And it'll take a lot longer for you compared to a professional. So you can actually use that time more. You can free up your time to hire the clean lady, and then you can work on more productive things. So my question to you is, how do you get rid of the uh, scarcity money mindset and use money to actually make more money down the road because you actually have more time now because you freed it up on stuff that is low value to you in terms of your career growth?
0: Yes. So understanding your relationship with money, just like understanding it with time is important. And so getting clear that it is completely normal to be worried or scared to spend money on something that you can do or like is easy to do is a first step. But the other part of it is getting like, where do your money stories come from? And so, for example, myself, I grew up with immigrant parents. And, you know, we never had a cleaning lady. Like I was a cleaning lady. (laughs) Hi, welcome to the professional. My sister and I were the cleaning ladies. We were like on our hands and knees mopping the kitchen floor like every other day. That was our job. So we grow up with a bunch of people around us teaching us how to be in the world. And before we know it, we start to absorb and we mimic what they do. And oftentimes we don't stop to assess where did I pick this up from? Do I like this thought? Do I like this belief? Does it fit with my current life? And is it actually a match for what I want to get done? So you really do need to take some time if you are looking to figure out a way to grow your wealth. You cannot grow your wealth with that scarcity mindset. Now, we all know that. So that's like, of course, the duh. But the truth is, unless we actually stop to go, okay, like I get that that's true, but what part of Me is resistant to letting go of what I know doesn't work, right? Because it's not enough to just go, oh, I know scarcity mindset, la la. Like it's everywhere. If you go on Instagram right now, you'll see a bunch of people talk about scarcity mindset. And that's the thing about human beings. It's not enough that we know something. Being able to integrate to do something different is a very different thing. So knowledge is great, but we have to be able to apply it. And so if you're looking to, change your world, you do have to start to create new relationships. And that requires you telling the truth and actually holding yourself accountable to letting go of a mindset that is not working for you.
1: So changing your mindset, because you said even for when we talked about like time management earlier, it's not always the best way to start off with tactics because you have to get your mind right before doing those tactics. Because if you're not fully committed, it doesn't matter what the tactic says, it's just not going to work for you. So What is some uh, suggestions that you can provide in regards to like shifting your mindset and as we discussed earlier, perceiving time differently to help you be more productive and help you generate more wealth?
0: Okay, so first step is really understanding do you procrastinate or are you overwhelmed? I know I sound like a broken record, but it makes all the difference in the world to get which one you do more of and then putting in place those anecdotes that we spoke about, either becoming the dealer of your time and or the person that is the bouncer of your time. Okay. So that's the first thing. If you are someone that is overwhelmed, the first thing you need to do is establish boundaries. And my challenge to clients always is, is come up with one boundary per week that you can put in place. So get really clear of like, okay, here's my rule. I don't work past seven. I don't work before nine. I only take on this many clients. I say, you know, no to one thing a day. You know, I'm not allowed to look at my email after nine o'clock at night. Like whatever these things are, establishing them for yourself and holding to them in of itself is a huge feat, but is the best place to start if you're someone that struggles with overwhelm. Also, I'll just say with overwhelm too, the other thing about overwhelm to get is that it's okay to disappoint people. And this is not necessarily like a tactic, but it is a truth to accept because we can't say no and or push back. Or put a boundary in place if we're worried people are going to be mad at us. (laughs) Or we're worried we're going to get in trouble. Or all of a sudden we're not going to seem like we're the hardest worker on the team. Or what might have you. So the truth is we have to adopt that this idea that we need to please everybody. And everything has to be okay. Or people can't be upset with us because then it means something. We have to be really willing to accept the truth that it's okay that people are disappointed. Okay, So that would be the overwhelm The procrastinator side, it is getting clear about what your systems need to be and also putting in place process. But for the procrastinator more than anything else, you need someone to hold you accountable. So if you haven't been successful to really getting in place, like, okay, you've been wanting to write a book or set out this proposal or I don't know, whatever you might be working on in your personal life, like going to the gym or buying an investment property, you do need to have someone to hold you accountable, a person that you respect and trust who knows what you're up to and is going to be on you, like kind of annoying, like, hello, where is this thing? How did you do it? Did you get it done yet? That you don't want to disappoint so that you can follow through. If you set up your world with those elements, depending on which way you lean, and by the way, some of us might need, you know, both sides, Right? some of us can lean overwhelmed at light in our personal life and then more procrastinators at work and vice versa. If you set up your world with these elements, There is no way you can't improve your relationship with time and then also your relationship with yourself. Because the minute you start operating within your boundaries and you follow through on things, those are transferable skills. Because when we talk about time equals money, right, having that respect for yourself is the only way we're going to go create wealth in our lives.
1: So we all know that uh, old habits are hard to break. So you gave us some suggestions. So how long does it take for someone to like start seeing results and how do you help them like stick with it? So they don't break these new habits that they're trying to build into their regular routine.
0: Yeah. So results depend. (laughs) There are two different types of results. There is the result of how you feel, which is pretty much instantaneous. And then there is the result of what you want to see in your world. So we have to give homage to both Seeing physical results takes a longer time because physical results are cumulative. Um, And so if you're going to be working on something like I want to, you know, I want to get better with my time so I can have more time with my partner, for example, well, your relationship with your partner is going to take some time, quote unquote time for it to improve because it's going to need a lot of energy from you in order to see like the difference of, okay, we get along better. Our intimacy is stronger. Or, you know, we have more fun together or we're doing the things that we said we want to go do. We have hobbies or whatever you want to go create. But the result of how you feel, that's instantaneous. The minute you start to go, okay, I'm going to spend time with my partner and I'm focused on this, that result of that pride, that confidence, that happiness, that will come over you the minute you follow through on what you said you wanted to go do.
1: Great. And from all this discussion with time, like how did you get into his work and how did you change your mindset with time and relationship with time as you've gotten older and wiser?
0: Oh, thank you. So first, I forgot to add something. Can I go back to the previous question? Yeah, for one, go ahead. One go ahead. So you, yeah. you said, how do you hold yourself accountable? Yeah. I didn't circle back on that. So let me just say, holding yourself accountable is an interesting dynamic. And what I found the most successful for clients is you either use a stick or a carrot. What I mean by that is you either incentivize yourself with a reward Or you give yourself some level of a consequence. Okay, so for example, if I say I am gonna stop working after seven o'clock and I keep working after seven, my stick, my consequence might be that I can't have like a glass of wine that night, which would be my choice because I work past seven, no wine. Sounds somewhat trivial, but what it does is it gives you like almost like a slap on your wrist to really get the impact of what happens because. Wine is fun. Wine is relaxing. Wine is like treating myself. But when I work past seven, I don't get to actually do those things, right? Like the fact that I work past seven is to have that time to relax. And if I don't feel the impact in the moment, because human beings don't really understand the impact of their behavior, unless it's like a consequence or right? unless we have something negative that happens. So by putting in place an artificial consequence for yourself and getting in the habit of, you know, okay, I'm going to, if I don't follow through on what I said I was going to do, I'm going to do this instead. And it should be a stick, by the way, that it helps you kind of understand the impact. One of the best consequences I have is when I yell at my husband, I had to pay him money. So it's gone up over time. So it started off as $10 and now it's a hundred dollars. So if I yell at him and he says, you're yelling at me, please stop. And I don't stop. So I don't know if, anyone listening is married or dating, you all know this. sometimes you're having a fight with your partner and all you want to do is keep screaming <laughs> because they're obnoxious. You know, my consequences, I pay him a hundred bucks for every sentence that comes out of my mouth when I'm yelling at him after he gives me the warning. And it sounds silly. It's also kind of annoying, but when I pay him the money and I really do go get him cash and then I give him my hundred dollars, it is the most painful thing in the world, but the right consequence for me. Because I'm actually seeing how much is damaging my relationship, like what it's costing me. Like I'm looking at dollars, but I'm getting the impact of my behavior. So putting in place a consequence is super powerful when you want to shift something that you just kind of can't get yourself out of. On the other side of the equation, that carrot is so amazing, especially for people who are more overwhelmed. Are us procrastinators, we need sticks. But those people who are overwhelmed, giving yourself an incentive, like if I say no to one thing today then I will go get myself a pedicure or then I will go get myself a great iced coffee or whatever your thing is. Like giving yourself something to reward yourself for doing something that's hard or can like risk your reputation will make all the difference in the world for getting you to follow through on it. And so I recommend taking on these practices if you're struggling with anything in your life, not just managing time, but even just trying to like follow through on like your hobbies or being great in your relationships. They do make a difference when you play with sticker carrot.
1: Great. And going back to uh, the previous question in regards to like your relationship with time, like, how did you get into this type of work? And what was your relationship with time before and now? And how has it improved your life?
0: I was a hot mess. (laughs) Those who can't do teach, no, I'm joking. I've now learned, (laughs) but I was a hot mess. So I definitely was someone who became very overwhelmed at work. And I said yes to everything and felt very guilty saying no. And didn't quite know how to disappoint people or push back. I was very nervous about that. And if that a lot of that had to do with growing up in an immigrant family and being very present to the fact that like having a good job was something that everybody had the option to get and have. And I was like, I felt a lot of pressure to like keep my job and grow my career. So I had some like negative behaviors, let's just call it that, when it came to saying no. So I was very overwhelmed at work. And then in my personal life, I almost rebelled. I procrastinated and everything. I completely let myself off the hook when it came to exercising and dating and taking care of myself. Like doctor's appointments. Yeah, right. Like I think one time I didn't go to the dentist for like five years. Like it was insane. Like I just like couldn't get to it. I was too busy. So I was really lopsided and struggling in many parts of my life. And I had hired a coach to support me. And when I understood that what I was doing was kind of burning the candle at both ends, And I start to get the importance of creating boundaries, but then also keeping my word to myself, which sounds simplistic. And I wish sometimes these answers would be more, I don't know, like compelling or like special sounding, because they're kind of boring. It's like, have discipline and consistency. It's like, that's really the headline. Not that sexy, right? But the minute I got, oh, I can have boundaries and then I can keep my word to myself. And if I said I'm gonna work out, I can just do it, even if I don't want to, and just spend the 20 minutes and get it done, how that radically shifts your level of confidence, that changed my life and changed my life so much that I did a career change to become a coach.
1: So my podcast is helping professionals with common career challenges. And as you just said, you transition into a coach. And one of the obstacles that listeners of my show have is making a career change. So how were you able to successfully pivot into coaching and making that career change?
0: Yes. So the most important thing to do or to contend with when you're making a career change is to understand what are your transferable skills and what are the common threads, if you will, of the things that you want to do in the world that bring you joy and are also connected to your innate talents. And understanding that is powerful because once you understand it, you know how to market yourself and you know how to position yourself. So in my past life, I did marketing and branding for retail companies. So I was in the fashion world and I made things pretty. So it's like interesting to go from that to becoming a coach. And then also in my coaching world, I do consulting for companies. So I'm like working in operations. How does that even come together? You know, my biggest decisions back in the day were like, what color pink are we going to put in the window? (laughs) Like. That was what I did. But the truth is making things pretty and positioning something is the exact work I do with a client. A client will come to the table with all these pain points. And then my job is to hear what they're saying and help them figure out how to get their life to be beautiful for them. Right? When I'm going into a company and the company or the owner is telling me what's not working, my job is to hear the pain points and then figure out a way how to organize it so it produces this result that they want. And all that is the same skills I used back in the day, creating marketing campaigns and doing visual merchandising. So getting very clear on your thread and your transferable skills is paramount first and foremost. And why I say that's because it requires so much courage to leave your current job, especially if you're in a high paying position or have a great title, because what's going to happen inevitably, whether you start your own thing or you go to a new company and just like a new position, is that you're going to start at the bottom, right? You're going to start in a position where you're not the senior person, likely, right? And you don't have all the no, and you're not that well versed in the ins and outs. So there's a lot of humility that we have to take on to start something different and being able to do that and feel good and like kind of eat our own humble pie requires that we have so much confidence in what we can do that it's going to allow us to sort of manage that super windy road that happens when we're switching to a new job or to a new career right when we're like that it's going to require us to have to dig deep and rely on our skills to be able to go do that and feel good about it.
1: Speaking of what you said about being courageous to make a career pivot transition, what were some fears that you had when making that career change and how did you overcome those?
0: How much time do we have?
1: (laughs) As much as you want to tell your story and give a lesson to my listeners.
0: Oh Lord, I had so many. So I had a very high paying job and I was on this, very high level track. And I was very proud of the career that I had now as a young leader. And when I wanted to transition to the role that I do now to coaching many years ago, this was not a very cool job. Like everyone's a coach now, <laughs> but this was not a very cool job. And people were like, Are you a therapist? What are you doing? Are you a consultant? I'm like, I'm Kind of in the middle. Like, it was very hard to explain and it wasn't as accepted. And so I had so many fears. I had one, like, How am I going to make a living? Right. I had the worry of disappointing my parents because I was, as I mentioned, the one getting like the job. I was sort of living like their version of the American dream. I also had the becoming like the laughing stock. Like I was worried of humiliation because what everybody think leaving this job to go like sit in my house all day long on my phone back then, like talking to people, what am I doing? So I had a lot of fears around disappointing other people and humiliation and also kind of like messing up my life almost. Like what if this messed up my life, right? And I spent many years trying to convince myself that if I stayed in this corporate job that I was really good at and successful at, because why would you leave, by the way? Why would you leave something that you're really good and successful at? That doesn't make any sense. Like, it's one thing if I was unhappy, but I wasn't unhappy. I was happy. So I spent a lot of time, and I should say I was happy doing what I was doing, but I knew it wasn't my mission, and I knew I could do more, right? So I spent a lot of time trying to convince myself that that was enough. And here's the truth about human beings is that we really are okay with mediocrity. And for me, mediocrity was staying in this corporate gig, making this money, having this title, right? That was mediocrity, although it's wonderful. Don't get me wrong, right? There's nothing wrong with it. Based on who I am in the world and what I wanted to go do, I had to be willing to let go of that level of comfort and what was actually something I was complacent in to go make an impact in the way that I wanted to go make it so I contended with a lot of fears but once I got the tr- once I got that reality check for myself that oh I'm just settling holy crap the minute I saw that I had to shift
1: yeah like a lot of people tend to want to stay in their comfort zone and like there's ideas of, of what they want to do but they can't leave that comfort zone for whatever reason they, they feel really comfortable in that comfort zone right so what's some advice that you can give them that kick in the pants they need to like make that move now
0: yes the advice is let's project out 15 years from now. 15 years, 20 years from now. Like, write down 15 years from now, you're at a party with your friends, and you know, imagine the scene. It's like you just got married, you just had a kid, whatever it might be, and you're having you know a good time, and you're talking to a friend of yours, and you're bragging about what it is that you've done over the last 15, 20 years. What are you saying? What are you bragging about? So the minute that you can articulate that, the minute you can go see, oh, I'm bragging about financial independence, or I'm bragging about contribution in the world, or I'm valuing about being an artist, the minute you can start to see the themes that come out of that, then you can reverse engineer it. And here's the beautiful thing. The minute you can start to go, oh, that's where I want to go, and then I can really put myself into some action steps, even if they're tiny, tiny, tiny ones, you will then feel not just more inspired, but also like there's a practical plan to get myself to where I want to go. And that's what's missing for most people. Most of us know what we want. We can envision it, most of us, right? Or we have an idea of what it might be like, but it's like, how do I close the gap? How do I get there? And the truth is reverse engineering that vision and then just going step by step. Simple steps are all that are needed. I had a client once who was a corporate lawyer and she was not very happy in our corporate lawyer life. And I had done this assignment with her when she came back to me. She had all this stuff about contribution in her vision. She wanted to like make an impact on women in leadership. She wanted to volunteer. And I asked her, I was like, well, tell me how you're volunteering. And she's like, nothing. I'm like, not even like for your daughter's school. She's like, no, <laughs> it's like nothing. And what she ended up doing is just starting small. Right. And The smallest step she took was getting on her daughter's like PTA, right, for the school. And that PTA role turned into meeting someone who sat on a board, who then got her on this board, who then got her out of this corporate job, who then like, and then, and then, and then, right? And so don't underestimate the importance of that first tiny step forward. That's all you need. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other and it does make all the difference.
1: Great advice. And I appreciate you taking some time, Krista, to talk about having a good relationship with time as well as your career story. I usually end my conversations with my guests with one last question. So my podcast is about helping professionals overcome common career challenges to get them to the next level. You have shared a good part of your story, but from your career, what has been one big career challenge that you had to overcome to get to where you are today?
0: Learning how to politic. So I'm sure that you had a lot of talk on your podcast about building relationships and politicking. And so the thing I had to overcome and understand is that politicking is very important and it makes all the difference. The people who are the fastest ascending in any organization or even are able to grow their business and scale and fundraise are the ones that understand how to build relationships and genuine, authentic ones at that. Most of us have a good bullshit meter. So if you're not authentically building relationships, it will always get you in the end. It might work on the front end. It might do some magic for you. But if you're not necessarily taking the time to care about people and understand what people care, want and figuring out how to coalesce the people around you, success is really challenging. No one makes it anywhere without the support of others And so learning how to politic and do it well and beautifully, and as well as if you're in an organization, learning how to manage up, down, and across and how to do that dance, super powerful. And that was one of my biggest challenges on top of time and saying yes to everything. I was a train wreck. This is not a joke. I really struggled. But that being able to master that, especially for people that work in fields that are not client-facing, those of us who are in finance or investment banking or technological fields, because those jobs tend to not be client facing, there's less focus on building relationships and the importance of that. And I find that within my clients, those people in those industries struggle the most with being able to navigate uh, the politics because they're not always having to do it, if you will, but they're also not as brushed up because they're not in front of people all the time. They're not dealing with like clients in a way of trying to sell people on something. And if you're thinking about what you're doing at work, you're always trying to sell someone on you, right? Like why you should be the one that gets promoted, why you should be the one that gets that new title, why you should get invested in, right? We're always doing some version of sales and we can't do that effectively unless we know how to politic.
1: A lot of people think that politicking is a bad word. What are your thoughts on that?
0: I tell them to change it, like, get over it. It's like, you know, a version of politics we have in our head is like, it is bad or it's gross, right? We think about, I don't know, I think about the swindly guy, right, in like a bad fitting suit, <laughs> like that. that's what I think of. And it's just like, okay, we could have that association. And if you do, I really recommend changing it, like putting in place a new theory or philosophy for yourself that you can abide by, that you can really live true to. Because if you're trying to avoid something that everybody else is doing, you're missing the competitive edge. So yes, I do agree it's a bad word, but create a new definition for yourself. Reframe it, which is a very powerful tool. Reframe it and then start to, again, step by step, put in place some actions that are going to help you build the rapport. And I will say this too. Building relationships down, like below you, is as important as building the ones across and above you. So down is really important, especially if you're like a mid-level leader. The people underneath you are going to get all the work done like they're the ones that like need to believe in your vision. Otherwise, they will derail you. They will not get things done. They will procrastinate as we talked about earlier. They won't like you, they'll mess it up, they'll go slow. And so it causes problems. So a lot of times when we're politicking, we're only focusing on like our boss, right? Or like our colleagues, but you do have to think about it holistically. So your boss and above and then also the people underneath you that need to champion you and if you're not willing to champion those around you don't expect them to champion you back
1: yeah common misconception at least from a lot of young professionals they focus so much on like trying to please the executives they forget the people that they have to work alongside or below
0: yes exactly and that makes all the difference
1: great so Krista, again i appreciate you taking the time to come on podcast to discuss how to develop a better relationship with time so how can people reach out to you to learn more about what you do and how you can help them
0: Ah, thanks. So people can find me on LinkedIn. My LinkedIn handle is Chrissa Zindros Voice, or you can find me at Chrissazboyce.com.
1: Great. Again, I appreciate the time and have a happy holiday.
0: Thank you. You too. Happy holidays.